Welcome to the Queer Voices Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Larissa Russell. Join us today and each week as we talk to people from the LGBT plus community to share their stories, the good, the bad, and the inspirational. Sharing stories, making connections, saving lives. Welcome. I'm Larissa Russell of Queer Voices, and today I have with me Savannah Hawk. Savannah is a lifelong dual gender biological male who uses the art of male to female cross-dressing to create her feminine identity and presentation. She is the author of two books in her Living with Cross-Dressing series. She is also a social media and conference advocate and co-host of the Fox and the Phoenix podcast, a resource on demystifying what cross-dressing is. So welcome, Savannah. Thank you. I so appreciate you having me on today. I'm excited to have you. I think this is a really important conversation for us to have and not one that I've had yet. So what? I know. Wow. I know. I'm your first. Okay. <laughs> so, cross-dressing I, virgins. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> you're not the first cross-dresser that I know of oh. or have met, but I've never actually had this conversation. Okay. So I want to know more and I want to know sort of what, so tell us a little bit about yourself to start with. Okay, sure. Um, Well, as your audience will probably fall into different categories, I am a lifelong cross-dresser. It started when I was about five or six, where the attraction to the feminine started to come into play. And when you're that young, you don't really, you do it and you, you have an affinity for it and you know you shouldn't be in your mom's drawers and dressers and closet. But that's the only thing I was worried about. I wasn't worried about thinking it was wrong to do what I was doing, only that I was in the wrong place. So that went on for, you know, my pre-adolescent, my teenage years, as hormones rage. Obviously, there's a sexual component to dressing that comes on uh, when you hit your 20s. I moved to New York from the Midwest in my mid-20s with my wife at the time. And that was in the 90s, I think it was like 96, 97, that Savannah, the head-to-toe presentation of Savannah became. That's when that actually happened. So up until that point, it was just the clothes. It was just dressing. There was no makeup. There was no wigs. It was just exploration in terms of the, the tactile nature of clothing, how it feels. And then like having moving to New York brought with it, one, a different sensibility because in the Midwest, this was unheard of, it's taboo. I didn't know anybody like me. I never, everything was very stigmatized. You go to New York, all of a sudden you're looking at drag queens and you know gay and lesbian people. And all of a sudden you're walking the street and people are just being who they wanna be. Especially when you're downtown and you're in lower Manhattan and Soho, it's a whole different experience. So that led to me gaining enough confidence and understanding to say, oh, I think I want to be more I, you know didn't want to change my biology i just wanted to be more ingrained in my presentation to be feminine so that brought with it a lot of den mothers like my wife helped um she was actually exploring her own sexuality at the time and she discovered uh, her sexuality was really attraction to women so her girlfriend and a couple of her co-workers, and they were all like making me up and we go to the clubs. And from there forward, it was like that became, I am now Savannah. I came up with my name, um, my style-ish, which was pretty much a hot mess at the time. I think my style was called hot mess at the time. Uh, looking back on those photos and Polaroids. 
Um, <laughs> so it was basically, it has been even up to today is a constant evolution of understanding thyself, understanding my journey, my direction, what fits for me, what doesn't fit for me is like, I've talked about transitioning. I thought about it. I didn't know if that was my path. Um, and now I'm settled, you know, as we always evolve as, you know, as we tell people all the time. But I'm labeling myself, and I hate labels, but if I had to label myself, it would be non-transitioning, non-binary, male biology, which is a masculine and feminine presentation. Mm-hmm. And I find this um, interesting because I've had, I have had conversations with people about, you know, why don't you just transition then? Or why don't you, you know... Why can't you be happy in who you are? And and those conversations, I've definitely had those ones. So I'm assuming you've also had these conversations. Mm-hmm. With yes. So what what do you say to people when they're like, why don't you just transition? I would say that I like my parts. Mm-hmm. And there is a long, long discussion you need to have with yourself to understand fully what you want to do. So for instance, if I tell people this, if I woke up magically transformed into a woman, I'd be like, okay, this has happened. I'm, I guess I'm living the second half of my life this way. I wouldn't bat an eyelash about it, but I would never go through the arduous journey of surgeries and hormones and you know reconstruction to fit that because I still love my male spirit. So I don't want to give up what I have I would love for it to be easier, like we talked about before the show. It's like it takes me 90 minutes to get ready to be Savannah. It's like I would love to wake up and hop out of bed and be Savannah and it'd be a 10-minute makeup job and everything's perfect. I would love for that to be easier, but I would never want to sacrifice my maleness in order to achieve it. Right, right. So then for the other side, for those who are like, why can't you just be happy with who you are? What, what would you say to them for that well, one? Well, why would I have to limit myself to just the male side of me? Because none of us, I mean, you tell me, Larissa, you tell me what the uber masculine person looks like. Or the uber feminine, like the height of femininity. What does that look like in a person? None of us are actually all uber one or the other. We are a mix and an amalgam, a spectrum along the sliding scale or the galaxy of. That makes up who we are. It's just that I am, I don't want to say it in this way, but I'm confident enough to recognize my female spirit and want to present that to the world. And I don't think there's no reason I have to sacrifice my maleness or my male biology in order to do it. So I'm happy both ways. But I will tell you this, even in my own life, if I do not have the expression, if I don't have the time to be Savannah for a long enough period, it does actually negatively affect me. Like my emotional state, I get a little anxious, I might become a little short and grumpy because it is an important part of me to express and present to the world. And even if I were to just do it at home, in my room, it would not be as fulfilling as being out in the world. So, yes, I live life as my male self. I came home today before this podcast, went to work as a man. I'm typically a man six days a week. And then on Sundays for my Starbucks Sundays, I go out and I do work. 
I go out and I'm just out in the world and the less people notice me, actually the happier I am sometimes because I just want to exist. I want to be part of life. I don't want it to be a spectacle. I don't want it to be people pointing at me and like, oh my God, have you seen that girl? Oh my God, who is that over there? I don't want that. I just want to be able to walk through life and just be part of society. And that, then that brings up my question um, about drag queens and that whole um, uh, performance art of drag queens, right? Like it's an amazing art form, but this is different than that, right? Because that's that taking it to the next level a little bit over the top. There's a performance that goes with that. And you're mm -hmm. looking at more blending in and just yes. being a part of the world, right? So, so what, can you explain that difference a little more for other people? Well, for one thing, I have no musical talent. I can't lip sync and I can't dance. So that puts me right out of the drag spectrum right off the bat. I think they would revoke my card if I tried to get one. Um, but you're right. Uh, drag queens for the drag community, it is more performance piece. It is that is a, a job that is they are on stage they are performing, they're entertaining. Uh, typically, the makeup and the costume or you just even if you want to just call clothing is very flamboyant or exaggerated or really ultra feminine, um, ultra high femme when it comes to the makeup. And ironically, the makeup that drag have has done has such an impact on how we do makeup just in everyday life. Like if you look at women now, like typically it's like, well, I go out with like a little lip, you know, lip gloss and a little bit of eyeliner. Now all of a sudden you're looking at people with you know, five color palette on their eyeshadow just to go out on day-to-day -day use. So they've had a huge impact on society positively, and I love that. And I think they've become very normalized, more so than cross-dressing for the dual gender, for the non-binary, for the gender queer. I think that the drag component has gained so much acceptance because you have RuPaul's Drag Race. You have, it's just become so part of the vernacular that we speak. Whereas people like me, the question you asked earlier is like, why can't you just pick one? I don't understand this. This You can't pick a direction. And that is just that a conversation that we haven't got to yet. But yeah, drag is high femme, performance-based. And for me, it's like girl next door. I just want to go out and I want to just go to Starbucks and have my coffee and work on my computer and if people engage with me, I'm always very, very happy to engage with those people because I like, we all like validation. You know, if you had done something nice and put on some makeup and you were like, wow, I really um, feel lit with this makeup and somebody commented on it, you would feel very validated. So that's the kind of thing that I love to get knowing that I put the effort in. But if I sit and nobody even turns my way, I'm just as happy. So for me, it's, it's just about being a woman in the world as opposed to I am not a performer in the world. Right. And I think that's a very important distinction for, for people to understand that. And I think you're right with the drag community, the drag shows, if you will, because it's a performance art, it has become an art form that society is starting to accept. Mm -hmm. Whereas cross-dressing, there's no understanding for people, right? There's no, like, why? Not that it's any of your business why, but, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's part of, you know, why we have issues with it or why some people have issues with it. I don't. Um, so what what are your thoughts on that with 
with cross-dressing and, and why it's not accepted or still oh, there's, Yeah, there's a couple of reasons. And one is because we are such a dark horse underground society. When it comes to the community itself, gays and lesbians, in order to function with their sexuality, for the most part, at some point, they will come out. Uh, and then you have the bisexuals that are kind of in the same boat we are is like the same people that you talk about want to say why can't you just pick either you like girls or you like guys i don't understand is liking both thing or pansexual it's like there's even those groups that have trouble in the sexual spectrum um but for cross-dressing men typically men male to female because female to male is accepted because if you're a woman and you want to dress up like annie lennox Really, nobody's going to be looking your way other than like, wow, you look great in those suspenders in that bowler hat. But it, as soon as a man tries to put on a skirt, all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. So uh, for one, I'm sorry, I'm soapboxing. But for one, when you have such a hidden, closeted community, that's when it becomes so hard to get people to understand because nobody's out here doing the work to say, no, it's fine. It's good. Why do you care? It's like, and it, you almost have to have that like pointed argument of like, well, why do you care? So they can actually verbalize what they're trying to get out of it in terms of like the person looking at the crossdresser. And it's been stigmatized from the word transvestite to it becoming tranny, which became kind of a universal slur to crossdressers, which got stigmatized with, oh, you're a sissy or a fetishist or a pervert. Those things like follow us around which makes us not want to come out into the broad daylight of life. But in order to overcome that fear that you have kind of been subjected to and have subjected yourself to, we have to get past that barrier in order for us to be out here more. And the more we come out, the more people will see us and the more people will either accept it, admonish it, or at least be forced to face it in some way. So until more of us come out, it will always be a conversation like on the cusp of having. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important point in, I mean, that's the whole reason I'm doing this podcast, right? Is because we need people to understand we're just like you. We're just, you know, it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum and, and any of that doesn't matter. We're all just people and mm -hmm. we all have the same basic needs. We all want to be loved. We want to fit in. We, you know, all of those things. And our culture and our religions have taught us to hate based on how we look, how we behave, how we, you know, all of these things. And so mm -hmm. if we can hopefully show people, what difference does it make? How is it affecting you? How, how does this hurt you in any way? Um, me being my most authentic self. Unfortunately, I agree with you wholeheartedly, number one. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, though, when it comes to religion, um, religion and religious dogma and indoctrination is so steep that if you don't believe in that exact thing they believe, then it's sinful. It's, you know, you're going to hell and I need to save you and I need to convert you and I do need to do all these things to make you more like me because I love you enough to want you to go to heaven. So therefore I need to get you into our society in the way I see the world in order for that to take effect. Now, again, you know, you talk about parents who, I mean, I'm in South Carolina right now. And when I came down here, I didn't realize there were still conversion centers. 
where parents take their children who say they're gay and try to convert them back to heterosexuality. I didn't realize that still existed because I had never lived in the South before. So that was a huge eye-opener that was like, wow, they're still doing that. And that's, and again, in the last year here in the United States, there was all these bills about overturning and banning conversion centers. It was, just, it was mind-blowing to me. I really couldn't fathom that we still lived in such an archaic way of thinking. Um, yeah, it's, it is hard to change people's minds and much of it is just about ignorance. And I don't say the word ignorant with malice. I just say they just don't understand because they've never seen it. They've never been exposed to it. Most people who do not have somebody in their life who ticks one of these LGBTQ boxes will never go out of their way to learn more about it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have to force feed them. <laughs> and sometimes you have to <laughs> I think that's so true. So true. If we can just, you know, steer it in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And I, I, conversations are happening more, right? I, I know I'm seeing it in, in politics here. We're a little bit different than the states we're in Canada. Um, but we still have similar issues. I live in a very conservative province. And, you know, we still have you know, Muslims being beaten. We still have uh, LGBT youth being beaten. We, you know, deaths happening. We still have that here, right? Mm. We're not immune from it. Um, but I think the conversations are starting that people are recognizing that, you know, this maybe isn't right. We don't know what to do about it, but we recognize that it may not be right. Mm. Yeah, I just wish people were all open-minded about these things, whatever it might be, whether it's sexuality or gender presentation and diversity and how I choose to express myself. Like you said earlier, why do you care? How is it affecting you? How is my dressing or my loves affecting you in your life? Mm-hmm. It's just that they, they get it stuck in their craw that like, oh, I can't, I can't bear to see you acting that way because I, my moral standard and my moral compass can't abide it. And until we, and that's always going to be a fight because people will always take a very specific moral tact. And what is that morality based on? And that's the problem. It's like, if it was all based on we love each other as if we love ourselves, if that was the one tenant we had to all subscribe to for morality, I think this would not be a question. But it's always about, I love people who act like I do. So as long as you act like I do and you share my belief system, then we're gold. But as soon as you have a different perspective, all of a sudden it's very threatening for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, and it really does come down to fear. But mm-hmm. figuring out what that base fear is, when you think about it, so your life doesn't affect my life in any way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the fear that you might be contagious and give this <laughs> to somebody else. And then all of a sudden my world is full of yous, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I think is part of the problem with with what um, people, where fear comes from. Yeah, well, in in 2019, before COVID really locked things down for us here, so in uh, late 2019, I met a woman in a Starbucks who was a staunch Republican, staunch Trump supporter, um, very conservative, very religious. 
and she, her and I struck a conversation because obviously I'm just sitting there being me. So she had to like come over and say, uh, can I ask you something? And that actually turned into a very nice conversation. She introduced me to friends of hers that, you know, just expanded my friend group, which was amazing. Still is. I, I'm friends with all of them to this day. But the we had got talked about the subject of Drag Queen Story Hour. Which, if you're unfamiliar, is drag queens come in and they, they set up shop in either a library or a venue and read to children. And typically it's probably uh, gender diverse or it's like stories that are like expansive and inclusive. And there was a huge contingent of people in the neighborhood and in, in that county, like all up in arms that how dare they use taxpayer money for a library to have this story hour because they were going to try to convert our children into being gay. And I had to explain to this woman who was at the coffee shop. It's like, so how do you think that this is the agenda that somebody reading a story is going to make you want to dress as a girl because you see a man dressed as a girl? That doesn't happen. That doesn't, it might give you the confidence to be more yourself if that is your proclivity, but it doesn't all of a sudden like, you know, become a germ on your hand that you touched your face and now you're, you know, infected. It's just amazing. And in this day and age, we're still under some strange illusion that that takes place. I find that one dumbfounding to me, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. um, I have grandchildren who live in small communities. My, my nine-year-old granddaughter and I just wrote a book called My Two Grandmas so that she could share her story with her classmates because she has an odd family in her school, right? She's mm. the only one in her whole school that she knows of that has two grandmas as opposed to a grandma and a grandpa. Right. So we wrote this book together in, in hopes of, you know, sharing that with people to get a little more understanding. And yes, we're going to read it in some libraries too. We're <laughs> not to turn people, you know, toward, you know, to the gay agenda, um, but just to let people know love is love. And we, mm -hmm. right. And it, I think that's so important. And, and the drag queens in the library is allowing those children to recognize that there's other options in life. You're not turning anybody, right. but right. it's about being authentic. It's not even it's not even just about being authentic. It's about being imaginative, mm -hmm. because a lot of it's about the creative spirit. It's about oh my god, I saw this woman who's like in this glittery gold gown and this huge hair and you know fairy wings, and it it just sparks the imagination as well. It's not strictly to talk about inclusivity. It's also about like being a child and opening up that imagination to like think broader than you might have before. That's all it's doing. And I think that's the probably the most important thing. Because, most, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say, because the child is not going to that drag queen story hour with the thought, hmm, I really should be more inclusive to my fellow boy and girl. They're, that's an adult concept. That is something we drill into our children. That is not something a child is thinking on their own. So that's why I say it's like, wow, it is the drag queen story hour is really less about you know, gender study and more about just that that phenomenal imagination and spirit that really we're trying to capture. I find that, that children that I've known that have gone to a drag queen story hour just love that they met a real life princess. Yeah. They're just so excited because they met a real life princess, right? Because they're all decked out. They've got tiaras. They've got, you know, big hair and the fancy dresses. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what they love about it. Yes. Yes. Goodness gracious. Well, anyways, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. It's been wonderful. Is there any final things you'd like to say before we go today? Um, No. Well, there's always something we could talk for hours. I I really do believe that. Um, I just want the listeners to know that, you know, we are a an emerging group in the LGBTQ community. Um, There's still more understanding to be had, like you said before. This is something that until more of us feel the confidence to come out and be true to ourselves in terms of our presentation and our gender diversity, it's always going to be a hard, long road from the person themselves who is coming to grips with their their dual gender um, to their partners who have never understood or been aware or been made aware of like, my husband's a crossdresser. I don't even know what that means. Where do I find resources? It's like, I don't know how I'm supposed to be married to a woman. All these things that, that go on. is And then the community, the neighbors. I'm still getting, you know, I got something the other day from uh, a listener, not a listener, but somebody to the podcast who just said, this is so degenerate. That was her only comment about the Fox and Fangs podcast episode that was airing. Guaranteed they didn't listen to it. But they just had to throw that in there because it, it their delicate sensibilities couldn't handle it. <laughs> but we're out here and we're going to continue to be out here. And I'm going to continue to advocate for dual gender, non-binary, non-transitioning folks because we are perfect just the way we are. Absolutely. I agree. And I, I appreciate you for doing that because I think we need people to step up. And it is a scary role to take. I'm sure it's not always safe. And, you know, but it's an important role to allow the next generation, those next, those youth that are coming forward to know that there were others who, just like all the other uh, Mm -hmm. rights that we've started to get, and, you know, some have come and gone, but we (laughs) we continue to move slightly forward, um, but it always takes somebody to stand up, and and so I commend you on that. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. And if I can just be that one example that fosters 20 other people to be their own examples and then foster a hundred more people to be examples and on and on and on, then that's, I've done my job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for being here today. You are amazing. Thank you for having me on the show. To our listeners. Thank you for being here to witness another story in the life of our community. Thanks for listening to Queer Voices. Our goal with Queer Voices is to help our youth know that they're not alone. Our suicide rate for LGBT plus youth is as much as eight times higher than hetero youth. This is not acceptable. When our youth find acceptance, this number drops significantly. Save a life today. Show your child or an LGBT youth in your life that you care. Make sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes so we can help get the word out. Sharing stories, making connections, saving lives.